0: This is Dale Jr., and you're listening to Dirty Mo' Radio. I got another phone call from your dad, and he was just the typical Dale Earnhardt after a Bristol race. (laughs) You know, he was just like, I don't know what's wrong with you, Park, man, call me back, you know, and I was like, you know, I called my mom and said, you know, I think Dale Earnhardt called my house, and she thought I was crazy, too, and I said... (laughs) I want you to listen to this, and she listened to it, and she goes, oh my God, that's him.
1: Welcome to Kelly Earnhardt Miller's Fastlane Family, presented by Wella Professionals, salon care products that you can experience with your senses. Get high performance that you can see, touch, and sense. Today's show is part one of a two-part series with Kelly and her guest Steve Park. Enjoy this week, and remember to stay tuned, as part two will air next Wednesday. Welcome to this week's edition of Fastlane Family. Today is going to be a great catch-up day for me. I've got my buddy Steve Park in today with me. and very excited to catch up and see what's going on in his life. Also, stick around for our Wella Professionals hair tip. We're going to work on creating a fishtail braid, which I'm sure that's nothing that you know about, Steve.
0: <laughs> I don't know anything about that, so <laughs> I hope you didn't call me in for that. But, uh, no, we'll save
1: that for the professionals. But, um, all right. We, maybe we can send a tip off for uh, Jessica and she can uh, yeah, learn that, the fishtail braid. That
0: would be good. Or else she could teach me and maybe I can bring it home and test it out on yeah. her. Boy,
1: she would think that's pretty special <laughs> if you come home to fix her hair. Yeah,
0: I know. She would. <laughs> uh, she spends enough time uh-huh. with her hair, so I think I'd probably uh-huh. spend double the, oh, the time.
1: Oh, gosh. That's too funny. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to go back and catch up and, and talk about life. I wanted to, you know, start out with the career part of it and, and just talk about, Anxious to hear about some modified stuff because yeah. you know my husband L W modified yep. racer. Yep. It's what you grew up on, and so you started that. Gosh, how old were you? When, how old were you when you started racing? Boy, well, I,
0: I started I started racing cars when I was uh, 15 years old. Okay, uh, you were supposed to be 16, and uh, me and my dad had built a car when I was 15 years old, and we got it done right before the end of that season. So. Uh, He was like, well, maybe we'll fudge your age and uh, go go run the last two races and just get you used to the upcoming year, and so that's what we did. And uh, it was a pretty special time. You know, as people know, my dad grew up, um, or my dad was a big modified driver in the Northeast, and I kind of grew up in a family that, uh, you know, all we did was kind of work and race and live in the garage and. again, you know, like, like I said, building my first car when I was 15 years old alongside my dad. And, you know, I never had the lifestyle of going fishing or hunting or doing anything like that with my dad. Cause my dad worked full time and then he raced full time. So if I wanted to spend time with my dad and quality time, with my dad, I had to do it in the garage and I had to do it around, uh, racing and, and building race cars. So, Uh, On one side of it, what made me the man that I was is, you know, he taught me how to cut, weld, fabricate, use a torch. Um, All the stuff that other kids that learned how to, you know, (laughs) fish and ride a bike and and do all those things with their dad. I mean, um, I remember at a young age, uh, a lot of times people don't even know this. And my mom kind of knows it. But uh, I remember my dad tried to blow both of us up with a oh gosh <laughs> you better not tell your yeah, mom that story I know. <laughs> but uh you know being a father now just knowing you know i never really could get the just of my dad you know kneeling over me with this look of fear in his face like he just killed his young son <laughs> and uh um and then me saying well you know what's the matter dad and he's like you okay i said yeah i'm okay i said all i remember was a big flash and <laughs> next thing I you know he was hovering over me and uh uh, and now i just think about it as a dad yeah. with 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 my son um you know if i was using a welding torch and accidentally uh uh blew up a gas tank and uh threw my young son across the yard and uh and and was passed out you know all those things go through your mind as a father now like oh my god how you know, crazy that how was how right how crazy that well, was well i was going
1: to ask you that cuz you said a couple things that made me think of jaden and and just that the irony of all those things. And, and he's five, right? Yep. Going into kindergarten. Yep. And so, you know, you talk about that lifestyle of, of being in the garage with your dad and then having your own son and, and thinking about how different that is. <laughs> and, and would you do that today? You know, it, I mean, obviously it's such different times.
0: Way different. <laughs> just, just like you said. And, uh, again, being a parent, like when I was younger, you know, I had, I had no, no fear. And I just kind of you know, went by the edge of the sword. And and, and now, knowing that what I did and what I survived through and knowing what my son is going to, Try to, me, do, uh, try to and, do, try to do, and put me you're through. You are going to
1: worry about. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, I think I am prepared for it. But uh, my mom, she just smiles and laughs every time I tell her these stories about my five-year-old son Jaden, <laughs> and, and she just, she just laughs and shakes her head. And I ask her, what, you know, what she's laughing and shaking her head at, and she says, "I am so glad he is putting you through what you put me through when you were younger." Uh, so, you know, what comes around goes around.
1: It's true. It's funny though because you know you hear the stories of, of our generation playing in the creeks or you know, walking to school or walking to the the neighborhood store and doing all kinds of things. Yeah. And we wouldn't dream of letting our kids do that these days. Yeah. You know?
0: Just like you said, it, it seems <laughs> it's like It's hard to explain time. what
1: the difference is, but it's different. It's very
0: hard to explain. I mean, uh, you know, uh, again, just uh, doing things that I, you know, I look back on my past and even – when I had a, when I had a paper route, you remember when there used to be paper yeah. routes and, you know, I used to have a bicycle with baskets on the front, and on the back and filled with papers and you'd go door to door delivering papers, you know, in your AKA neighborhood. But, uh, you know, when I let my son have a paper route,
1: I, no I don't way. think I'd
0: even let him drive down Browley school road or walk down Browley school road no. in our neighborhood. So, uh, yeah, it's a different time, but you know, it, it, it's just like anything else. Times change. It's change. Exactly. You know, it's just, you know, embrace change and, uh, you know, try to do the best you can as a parent.
1: So from 15, when you got your first modified, when you're fudging your age, I've heard that story a time or two from yeah. a few folks too, <laughs> uh, until you got the call from my dad about coming to DEI. Race modified that whole time, pretty much, up in the north?
0: Yeah, pretty much. And and when I was 15, I had a four-cylinder open-wheel car. I mean, you know, we we all don't just start off in those eight-cylinder, 600-horsepower cars. And... Uh, I ran that for, for about, uh, three years, maybe four years. And, um, and it was pretty neat cause you know, I kind of cut my teeth on the, on the short tracks on long Island and, uh, raced, uh, pretty much like we were telling, telling you earlier about how, if I wanted to spend time with my dad, I had to do it in a race shop. Well, when I ran my four cylinder car, I ran the same weekly track that he raced at. So he could keep his eye on me again at 15, 16, yeah. 17 years old. Um, and then it got to a point a lot of people don't realize is that uh, my dad, which was Bob Park, and my uncle, which was Bill Park, they used to race in the 600-horsepower modified cars at, like, i Sub Speedway. And then uh, when I-Sub closed, uh, which my dad won the last race, which I'm very proud of, <laughs> uh, we moved to Riverhead Raceway, and, uh, uh, and that's when I moved into the eight-cylinder modified class. And uh, what people don't realize is that when I moved into that class, I would race on a weekly basis against my uncle Bill, and my dad Bob, and myself. So it made for interesting uh, Thanksgiving dinners <laughs> at my grandmother's house because it seemed like as we were racing together, we were you know we had to bang and bump and grind each other out of the way. And what was fortunate to me when I was going to high school is that. You know the the Sunday paper from Saturday night race would you know the headlines would say Park wins Riverhead.
1: So you'd go to school and <laughs> I'd
0: go to school, my shoulders up high and stuff. And it was either my dad or my uncle. Yeah. Until somebody
1: you, read the fine print. Yeah. Until <laughs> someone. So
0: I was hoping that maybe thirty percent. Yeah. It would slip. It would slip by. That's and, funny. Um, so I was always proud of my family. Always proud of the the Park heritage and tradition on, on Long Island with the. Uh, racing modifieds and then eventually ventured out uh, along with my dad. His nickname was The Traveling Man and he used to venture out and race uh, in in the tri-state area and then eventually up in New Hampshire when they built the track in New Hampshire and um, you know he would run out you know people don't realize back in the day he would run a hundred races with NASCAR and you know they would take uh, like in the All-Star Series they would take like your best Thirty races out of as many races as you ran, so you know the guys like, you know, like Bobby Allison and Richard Petty and all those guys that used to, you know, you know, come from Florida and race from you know Florida all the way up the East Coast to Maine, to Oxford, Maine. um You know, again, we talk it was a different time back yeah. then. So, you know, that's what I kind of inspired to do, and when I got a chance to travel and was old enough to travel. Uh, we used to venture off to a place called New Egypt Speedway. It was in New Jersey. Uh, it was about three and a half hours away. And uh, I had my learner's permit, and <laughs> I wasn't supposed to drive out of the state of New York, and I wasn't supposed to drive after 9 o'clock. And uh, with the help of my dad, we would load up my 71 Ford flatbed that I bought with my my race car in the back, and I would follow my dad. Again, like I said, you know, you at least... The good thing is at least you had a parent looking out for you. At least they were in close distance. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, even though I wasn't supposed to drive out of the state and even though I wasn't supposed to drive after nine o'clock, we'd drive three and a half hours to New Jersey, race, get home by one o'clock in the morning. And, uh, And fortunately, uh, everything usually turned out pretty well.
1: You know, I drove with my dad too, like 13 would drive him around here in Mooresville. And you just that those things today, Carson's got her permit now. I wouldn't dream of that kind of thing every now and then. (laughs) I'm like, I wish you could just run here real quick by yourself. But, you know, I wouldn't dream of letting that happen. It would something would happen. I would just feel really bad. But yeah, Yeah. back in the day, that's what we did. You know, what's interesting to me is, you know, NASCAR obviously being a southern sport, so to speak, and people talk about, you know, well, it's not really that popular up north, but it is popular up north. I mean, some of my fan bases in Pennsylvania, New York are right up there in the top five. And the kind of racing that you're talking about, I mean, it's been abundant up there for years and years and years, still abundant up there. You've got Tommy Baldwin that come, you know, Mm -hmm. buddies with you. Yeah uh bono you've got um the fullers you know yeah. that came down from that racing and it's it's still you know so popular
0: yeah it's it's a hotbed i uh the, the northeast uh more so open wheel modified yeah. so it yeah. really wasn't a lot of yeah. stock car yeah. racing uh there's a lot of late model racing and then you know then then the birth of uh of like the bush north series yeah. i don't know if people remember that and you got guys like Ricky Craven that had come from the Bush North series, Andy Santerre. Yep. Uh, these guys were, you know, from New Hampshire, Maine, you, you can't get no further North than that. <laughs> and, uh, um, and then with Bob Barron, the birth of New Hampshire Speedway, uh, back in, Propaled, uh, 1991 yeah. really gave the race fans the opportunity to not only experience the open wheel modifieds, but some of the full body stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, and of course, NASCAR adventured up there and, uh, um, and and even prior to what we see today, the Bush North series dominated uh, tracks in the Northeast and, and and including New Hampshire. But I really think for guys like myself, I never looked at myself as a as a pioneer. I, I always looked at guys like you know Jimmy Spencer from New York and Jeff Bodine from New York, and then you looked at Ricky Craven. Um, you know these were the guys that. You know, if you want to call it back in the day, I hate using (laughs) that term, but back in the day, um, I know when I had moved to North Carolina, you know, these guys had had paved the way for guys like myself. And knowing, being from New York and coming to a southern state um, and trying to get used to some of the southern traditions, I really think that these guys, you know, maybe eight, ten years before me that had to try to break into that opportunity into a southern-based sport really paved the way for a guy yeah. like myself you know yeah. i mean there's there was a lot of uh there was a lot of barriers i think that they had a kind of breach and get used to i mean you you remember uh days of thunder you know with with jeff Bodan and your dad yeah you know <laughs> i mean you got you got you got a you got a you got a a guy that's loved in, in the south and you got a guy that's loved in the north and uh you know they're they're trying to cross the Mason Dixon yeah. line and trying to cross the come start finish territory. line. Yeah, and I think Bill France had a big Bill France had to finally draw the line in the <laughs> yeah, sand in between yeah. those two guys. Exactly. So, uh, exactly. Uh, but that's you know that's that's what NASCAR is all about. That's what you know racing is all about. And uh, uh, right now, you know what we didn't talk about is the influx of Jeff Gordon. I know yeah. he's retiring this year, but you know he was one of the first guys that come from the West Coast. Yep. So if you think about the sport and how it evolved from a southern sport to an east coast type sport and then started venturing out, out towards the west coast, uh, and now it's just a nationally recognized yeah, sport.
1: Exactly. So what were you doing? Was it 95 or six that you got the call from my dad?
0: Oh, boy. It was '90. I think it was 96. You ran in 96. Yeah. Yep. You ran a, yeah. one
1: of the Bush Races full year, in 97. So I didn't know yeah. if it was like early 96. I, what uh, was big going on in your life that you got that yeah, phone call?
0: Well, <laughs> it was late 95, and uh, it's funny. I, I mean, I could tell the story, and it's funny how it all runs together, and a lot of people don't know this, but, you know, I had I had I had made a decision for myself I was going to try to make it to big-time motor racing. I was racing – four nights a week up in the Northeast and I figured that the only way I could get discovered is by just being different than than anybody else and, and the only way not having any money the only way I felt I could do that was by walking with my race car you know walking with a big stick winning races being on the cover of all the magazines and newspapers and uh, everything that you picked up and I thought maybe that would give me the opportunity to put on a resume to say okay well this is what I have done and uh so, so so by doing that I really kept up with a lot of what was going on and wanting to get involved in NASCAR. And at that time they had the winter heat series. Ron Hornaday, uh Mike Skinner, all those guys that used to run in the winter time out in Arizona. Yep. Um I was like, "Man, that's that's where I need to be. I could I could get the opportunity. I could get television coverage if I can just get a good ride." So uh yeah, I'm trying to make a long story short. <laughs> so Bobby Hutchins, which was uh, a modified guy mm-hmm. yep, um, yep. that worked for, for Richard Childress that your dad drove for. Yep. I called Bobby and I said, Bobby, I said, I know you guys come up to New Hampshire. I said, you got to get me a meeting with Mr. Childress um, because, you know, I heard that Mike Skinner was going from his truck to the Cup Series. And I wanted to get an opportunity to run the winter heat in his truck. So Bobby said, all right, I'll get you a meeting. I'll get you a meeting. I said, you won't have to do nothing. Just get me in front of him. So <laughs> he did, and this brash young kid from Long Island, I don't even think he even let Richard say a word, and sat in front of him and said, I'll, I'll come move down south. I'll live in the shop. Just give me a you know, slide, a plate of water and food under under the shop door, and, um, and I'll drive the truck, and, and you won't have to pay me until I start winning races. And with your engine, your truck, and your crew – uh, we'll probably win 90% of the races. And he was like, whoa, easy killer. You know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I mean, in my mind at that time that, you know, that's what that's I thought. What, that's I thought, how it was going to work. That's how it was going to work. And, uh, so with that, um, uh, I, I found out later on from your dad that Richard was, you know, was impressed with my personality. And then we ran, uh, like three races that day, in New Hampshire. And, uh, and, and and Richard told Dale, he said, look, look at this kid I was telling you about. Look, I mean, he's crazy running three races right in a row. I think we won one of them and uh, finished in the top five and the other two. And um, Richard had told Dale the story and uh, and then through all that. Uh, I got the opportunity to get the phone call from your dad.
1: And how long did it take you to return it?
0: Uh, it took it, <laughs> it took me a little over a week. And and people know the story, but yep,
1: yep. It, it's
0: so funny because back then I thought I I thought I was big time because I got one of those digital. Uh, answer machines. You remember they yeah. used to have, they used to have the tape and them oh, the little yeah, tape yep, in them. Yep. Then and you then,
1: got one you could press the button and record and it was hooked up to your phone. Yeah. And then <laughs> and,
0: and then I got a digital one which you know it didn't need a tape so it didn't break and stuff and I got a phone call and I, I was racing four nights a week and I lived in a, a in a condo I had just bought in Connecticut and I come home got a couple messages and run through the messages and I get Hey Steve Parker this is Dale Earnhardt. I need you to give me a call back and leaves a number. And I'm thinking, here. Right. You're like, which friend is this I, playing a, a joke on I, me, right? I had a lot of friends and we played a lot of jokes, including traveling from races and people getting out to take a leak and me driving <laughs> off on them and making them chase the car down the highway to get back in. And so I said, all right, well, it's probably my turn to get a joke played on me. And. So I didn't say nothing to nobody. I, you know, I didn't want anybody to say, "Hey, you know what? That was us." Oh yeah, right. Dale Earnhardt's gonna call your house. They're all you behind know? your back.
1: Steve. Yeah. Steve, Steve thinks he got a call from Dale Earnhardt. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: So I didn't say nothing, and then, uh, uh, like I said, I wish I could have saved it because then I got a I got another phone call from your dad, and he was just he was just the typical Dale Earnhardt after a Bristol race. <laughs> you know, he was just like. I don't know what's wrong with you, Park, man. Call me back, you know. And I was like, I was like, man, you know. So I called my mom. I never watched racing on a TV. People don't believe that, but I, I was working and, and racing. You were doing it
1: yourself, right?
0: So I mean, I had my favorites, and you know, obviously Dale was one of them, and Bobby Allison was was one of them. And uh, uh, I said, you know, I called my mom. and said, you know, I think Dale Earnhardt called my house, and she thought I was crazy too. And I said. <laughs> I want you to listen to this, and she listened to it, and she goes, "Oh my God, that's him." Call call that number back, and of course it was a North Carolina number. So I called the number, and I said, "Well, nothing for nothing," but I got a message that Dale Earnhardt was trying to get a hold of me, and I think it was Amy Hallman. You remember yeah, Amy? Yep, yep. And uh, Amy. Uh, oh, anyway, she said. She said, "Oh, Steve, yeah, Dale's trying to get a hold of you. Hang on a second <laughs> Now I'm thinking, you know, you got to remember. I'm Did kinetic, your heart just get... like Oh yeah. Whew. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't know if I should uh, hang up or throw or, up, or, throw <laughs> up or, 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 or something in between. So, uh, and then all of a sudden, I get put on hold, and the thing comes off hold, and I'm, I'm, I'm about ready to pass out, and it was Ty Norris, ah. and, uh, and he said he said steve park i said yeah he said this is ty norris um he said I, I know dale's been trying to get a hold of you and um you know he wants to know when would be a good time for him to be able to get a chance to talk to you i said well i work seven days a week and i, and I race four nights a week i said uh he said well how about uh next tuesday or wednesday he said um uh, He said, Dale wants to fly you down to North Carolina. So I was like, okay. I will just, you know, I I own my own repair shop. So I was like, you know what? I'll just not work, not race. I'll do whatever I got to do. So he said, all right, let me make the arrangements. I'll call you back. He calls me back. Long story short, he says, what's close to the airport? And I said, Hartford, Connecticut. He said, you know where the little FBO is? I said, yes. He says, Dale's going to be testing at Richmond. He's going to send his plane for you. Fly you back to Richmond and then you guys are going to go to North Carolina uh, for two days. So I was like, between almost dying or passing out or uh, all the above, I said, all right, I'll make myself available. He said, how about, um, you know, four o'clock on Wednesday afternoon? I said, yes, sir. So I tell a good friend of mine, his name's Randy Smith, and uh I told him, I said, Dale was sending this plane to come pick me up at Hartford, Connecticut. Oh, yeah, right. I said, I, I need a <laughs> ride. He says, I'll give you a ride. He said, just just, just so you can get a ride home from a good friend. I said, no, nah, I'm telling you. He said he's sending this plane up. So sure enough, we go to the airport. And we're sitting there, and the plane was probably 15 minutes late. And he says, oh, yeah, Dale's sending this plane right up here. All of a sudden, here comes this Learjet with the Dale Earnhardt crest on the tail, and I was, like, punching him in the shoulder. I said, you see, I told you. (laughs) uh, Well,
1: those two days must have went well.
0: Oh, yeah, they they (laughs) went real well. I mean, uh, it it was so funny because I think Don Hawk was the president at the time, and, uh, I mean, he was putting the hard court press on me to sign a contract, and I was like, man, I I thought we were just talking. Should I have my parents look at it? Should I get an attorney to look at it? And uh, Dale said, "He said, you know what? He said, Hawk. He said, put a put a clause in there that he has thirty days to turn it down. Have him, You can this way. You can sign it. You got. You can go home with it. You can mull over it. You can let anybody look at it that wants to look at it. And in thirty days, you can cancel it. You you can just tear it up. You know. So I was like, you know, who's going to tear up a contract from Dale Earnhardt? <laughs> you know. So, uh,
1: oh gosh.
0: And then I think I think uh don i eventually signed it and, and don uh gave me a sign and bonus check I, I did you have how,
1: anybody look at it
0: uh i did as a matter did. of fact i had i had uh
1: did they have anything to say about it or did they just said it was good to go they they said it they <laughs> said
0: it was good to go i guess they knew what they were doing and uh one of my sponsors uh uh who owned the big company he had his uh in-house turn to take a look at it and um and he just said, he said, you know what? He said, it's, it's rock
1: solid this is opportunity, right? <laughs> it's an opportunity. Let's
0: go race. The way I looked at it is what did I have to lose? Um, you know, if I could go to work for Dale and then that's the other thing I, I didn't even mention. I really thought I'd go to, you know, drive a truck. I always thought I had to drive a truck. Then the Bush series. Yeah. Right. And then go to the know, escalation the Winston of, Cup right, series. Right. And, you know, Richard was going to put me or give me an opportunity in a truck when Dale called he said you know I want to give me an opportunity in a, in, a, in a bush car I said well I thought I would have to go through the truck series and you know I'm going to have to talk to Richard you don't worry about talking to Richard I'll, I'll take care of that he said you just signed I was like yes sir
1: <laughs> what else are you saying, Dale Earnhardt? Exactly. So if I remember correctly, because it was a big deal for you to come. I remember the talk around the shop. You yeah. know, you've come in and everything. You live with my dad and Teresa for a brief <laughs> yeah. period of time, right? Yeah. Downstairs. Yes.
0: How many people would love to do that? <laughs> to
1: say that they live with Dale Earnhardt. It
0: was a nightmare. <laughs> Tell oh. us some nightmare stories. Oh, I mean, you know, you think about it. People. He's up
1: at the crack of dawn for one. He doesn't cra- sleep much. A crack of dawn and – and,
0: and, and, and when he's up you're up yes I mean, he's not going to wake Teresa up
1: so. <laughs> so he's gonna wake your butt <laughs> up yeah
0: so uh... It, w- it was funny cause like i said you know we we sit here and people listening to the show are gonna say oh my god i would love to live with dale Earnhardt. i can't remember
1: anybody else living with him you know no. i mean i hear a lot of those stories my granddad g so many people moved down live yeah. with him that kind of thing yeah. But yeah i think you were yeah well the one and only to live with dale Earnhardt.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well i i feel special but you know let me tell you the story um, when I when I first moved down here I didn't you know, I didn't know where anything was and uh and I lived in a room downstairs in his house and uh you know, I would work I'd work in the shop until he kinda run me off. I mean I used to work a full time job at my own repair shop and and then when you got things done at seven o'clock at night you grabbed the bite to eat, you worked on your race cars until, you know, eleven, twelve or till the work was done. So when I first moved down here I remember going to work in the shop, and uh, it was like 4:30, and I see everybody kind of washing their hands, and I'm like, "Oh, it must be break time or something." Everybody, I'm like, well, uh, "Is it break time?" And they're like, "No, we're going home." I'm <laughs> like, "It's not even five o'clock yet." And they're like, "Oh, we've been working all day." And I'm like, <laughs> "Man, I'm like, I lived the, the you know, the the race shop was right in front of Dale's house. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a stone throw away. Yep. So I'm like I didn't even know, you know, where the roads were, how to go anywhere. I just knew where the house was and I knew where the shop was because all I did was work and sleep. So, now I'm thinking to myself, it's 5 o'clock. What am I going to do until 11 o'clock at night? <laughs> you know, so I'm like, well, can I stay in the shop? They're like, oh, yeah, you can stay in the shop. So, well, you know, we got a car to get ready and there's work to be done. And I'll just tinker around and get things done. And it would be 9 o'clock at night and you'd hear these you hear a door open you hear these cowboy boots clicking (laughs) across the floor all of a sudden park what the hell are you doing I said I'm I'm working he says it's nine o'clock at night he says you you need to you need to go home I'm like I I live right where you live right there (laughs) you know like won't take
1: me long I'm like,
0: won't take me long you know I, I you know I didn't really have a lot of friends down here yet um so it was just there was nothing for me to do so I mean I'd Go to the house, and it would be you know they would go to bed at nine o'clock at night, and um, I'd be kind of twiddling my thumbs, and then I'd finally fall asleep, and and I'd go to bed at like eleven o'clock, so it might be ten o'clock, eleven o'clock, I'd fall asleep. It would be five, five fifteen in the morning, and I my bed would get kicked with the end of the bed would jump up <laughs> off the ground and back down on the floor again. It was all hardwood floors in this house. I mean, just beautiful, and. I would jump a mile out of bed, be scared to death. I'd be like, like, what, what what's going on? <laughs> He's like, come on, I want to show you something. He says, uh, you're going to sleep your life away. Get up, get out of bed. He said, get dressed. I was like, oh, maybe we're going to go look at a race car or something. Have to do racing. We'd get up. We'd leave the house. It'd be pitch black out. We'd get in his pickup truck, and we'd go down on the back on the farm, and he'd shut the lights off, and we'd be cruising across the, the grass field, at like 50 miles an hour pitch black he'd had the lights off he'd be fumbling for uh, a big red spotlight trying to get the cigarette lighter thing in to get the light lit up and it would be bright red and we'd start chasing some deer and they would stop the fence and then he would stop the truck he'd be like just watch watch how they twitch their ears watch watch (laughs) how they watch how they turn their ears because they they can't see us because the red light but they can hear us. They, they can feel us. They can sense us. And so just watch. He said, you see that big one right there? Just watch him. Watch him. Watch him. Watch <laughs> him. I'm like, my eyes can't get any wider. I'm watching. You're like,
1: what am I watching? And
0: so I'm watching. And sure enough, that deer looked like he was going to sit down on his hind legs. And he scaled like an eight-foot fence. And he was like, oh, man, you see that? Did you see that? He was so excited. I was like, yeah, I saw that thinking to myself man it's not even six o'clock in the morning (laughs) and i don't hunt i don't fish i don't you know you don't say this to him but i don't care about the deer (laughs) i don't care about him jumping the fence and uh and man he loved he loves his wildlife and he did he put you to farming oh yeah especially if i did something wrong on the racetrack i mean i i never how long
1: did you live there
0: oh boy short amount of time it was i would say it was probably maybe a month and a half
1: yeah
0: and uh and then I, I think I begged Ty Norris or asked him. if He, he You're just like, bought. is there anybody else that he I bought a house, you. and I didn't know too many people. And and I, and I finally, Ty had a uh, bought a new house, and he had an extra room, and he had a he had uh, his first son, which was a baby, and I didn't care. Yeah, I was like, you know what, baby crying, <laughs> Dale Earnhardt getting me out of bed at five fifteen in the morning, <laughs> so. Uh, so I ended up moving in with Ty and lived with him for a little bit until I started getting used to the area yeah. and found myself a place to live.
1: Yeah. So you had to farm when you did bad.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, y- y- you knew your dad. Those truck and- rides were,
1: they were some good stuff, though, right? Yeah. I mean, that was kind of, you talk about, you know, working in the shop alongside your dad. That was kind of for. For Dale and I, and we were older. I mean, in our teenage years, because just coming to live with him when we did, and him racing and all that kind of stuff. Those truck rides were important to me. Yeah, so some good conversation going on. Yeah,
0: there. they were important to me too. And and, and you'll know one thing that uh, a lot of people who knew him well, there was nothing ever on his side of the truck to look at. Did you ever notice? every time there's something going on the arm would come across slam you in the chest the finger would come out and be like look at that yeah look at that over there i'm like isn't there anything out your side of the truck <laughs> everything was always out my side of the truck oh uh, gosh so but i mean just just great times and and like i said i mean uh, i never worked on a farm i tried not to work on dale's farm too much because every time you did it was because you did something wrong and he'd work right alongside you. Oh, that
1: was one thing he loved. Uh, and, oh,
0: yeah. And he would want to talk on Mondays and critique how I did on the weekend. And if I did something wrong, he'd want to explain it to me. And the way he explained it to me was bailing hay when it was 90-something degrees <laughs> out in the Carolina sun. Oh, god. And he, him right alongside of me bailing hay. And, and, and by the time I got to the end of the day and my feet and legs and knees and back hurt, um... I made sure whatever I did wrong, I didn't do it again. <laughs> I got you. I hear you. <laughs> yeah. So
1: you had a good first year in the in the Bush Series, won three races that year, Rick of the Year, yeah. third place in the points, and you ran four cup races that year too. What happened in that year to make the decision to go ahead and go to cup so quickly?
0: Dale Earnhardt. <laughs> Just said,
1: we're doing it. Huh? Well, it, it, I, I can remember. <laughs> did you feel like you were ready? Um, I mean-
0: no, but that's it's funny how you say that because – you you talk about the conversations and those truck rides with your dad.
1: Yeah, you don't you don't make decisions. I no, know that <laughs> you
0: you don't. But but it was like if if he was testing the cup car at Charlotte, he'd be like, "Come on, park, meet me." At, you know, three o'clock. We're going to Charlotte. I'm like, "Well, I don't really want to go to Charlotte." He says, "Well, you got to learn how to, these guys communicate and how the crew chiefs and crew and stuff communicate." And he and he was he was teaching me and, yeah. and trying to let me learn um, everything I could in, in a short amount of time. But we we were coming back from a test at Charlotte one night and um I was driving, which he had asked me to drive, or didn't ask, I don't think he asked just anything told you. he told you. <laughs> and uh and as we're driving it just he's quiet, 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 quiet. And when he's quiet he's thinking. Yep. <laughs> which he's always doing. And all of a sudden he looks at me, and says, If you were gonna drive uh a Winston Cup race, where would you wanna race? And I was like well, first of all, I haven't even gotten through my first Nationwide or Bush Series um, year. And I said, well, I said, Dale, I, I really don't know any of these tracks that we're going to. The only tracks I'm familiar with is New Hampshire because we ran the Modified up there. And Watkins Glen because I ran the Modified up there. So he just shook his head up and down like you're doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and typical Earnhardt fashion, and Hard uh, Fast. And that was the end of the conversation. And then the next thing I knew, uh, we were going to um, we were going to Watkins Glen with a with, with a Burger King car, and uh, and then later on he had he had explained to me that uh, uh, Burger King wanted to do some cup racing and um, his team was new and you go back to me personally asking the question I said Dale I said do you, do you think I'm ready to run a a Winston Cup race? You know, not being sure of myself, and and he looked at me and he said, you know, with this brand new team, he says, "Do you think we are?" And I was like, "Well, you know, we're we're a fairly new team, you know, first year team, but we haven't even done our first year yet."
1: Yeah, you haven't even got through it. <laughs> so he
0: was building this new Winston Cup shop and a new team, and when I asked if he thought I was ready, he said, "Do you think we're ready?" And I said, "Well, touche." You know, I said, you know, he said, you know, we're going to grow together. We're going to grow as a team. We're going to we're going to we're going to learn as we go. And he said, you know, will we be a winning race team? Yes, I'm confident in that is it going to take time? Yes. He said, are you? I said, well, that's what I plan on being. He says, well, that's what I you know, that's what I have envisioned, too. He said, so. You know, maybe you're not ready, maybe we're not ready, but we will be we're ready. Just gonna, go we're just, we're gonna go at it together. we go at it together. So, <laughs> and then history tells the tale.
1: History tells the tale. So you had you had a rough '98 start there. Got your first win in 2000 at the Glen. That was pretty yeah. special. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, right up there in your neck of the woods. Uh, my, I was just gonna say home,
0: <laughs> home state yeah. anyway. Uh, yeah. Which was pretty cool. And uh you know, Watkins Glen was a road course and. Uh, I know
1: had you run many road courses really proud of that? Do you run that in modified? I don't you don't do much Just a little n- bit. Not no, really. No. Just
0: in the modified yeah. cards all we really did was uh was oval yeah, tracks yeah. and then we ran Watkins Glen. So
1: that's pretty
0: special. Which was special. Yeah. And what I liked about it as, as a driver, I mean we always turn left. You hear people saying, "Ah, oh, yeah, all you do is turn left. Well the first time I took a race car and turned right with it, I was like, Whoa. That's that's pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, the challenge was it, it made just turning left seem easy when you had to turn left and right and left and right and and, and majority of it was right turns. Yeah. So uh, I just looked at it as a new experience, a new challenge. Uh, took to the challenge and uh, uh, eventually, actually, uh, Dale uh, had sent me and Junior to uh, to uh, the Bonneville driving school mm-hmm. for for road racing, and we had gone out and we had done that and uh, and I just i just took to it where i was it was a challenge and it was a challenge that needed to be faced and and uh and when you went to road course i felt like we had uh probably at least 50 percent of the field covered because back in the day you know the sterling marlins and guys that you know would just outwardly talk about how they don't think road racing should be on the nascar schedule because they hated it right (laughs) so uh if you go into something hating it you're not going to do well at it and uh uh, I I thought it was a new challenge and they'd be conquered. So you uh,
1: were probably off farm duty that week, weren't
0: you? I was I was I was off farm duty. <laughs> or did of...
1: he find something that you could have done just to tick better? No, nah, I mean <laughs> he,
0: he was funny because I mean we all saw the pictures of him come the victory lane, and um, people don't know we we're, were in it. We were going into our second three year contract with Penzo. and you know from '98 uh, to 2000, you know we didn't have the wins we you know we wanted to get. We were growing as a team. We felt like we were on the verge of getting some wins, and I remember sitting at the uh, uh, in Pennzoil uh, in Texas when uh, they were trying to negotiate the renewal for the contract. And Dale had my back at the table. He said, "You know, we're we're a new team. We're three years old. We're, you know, we're getting our legs under us. We haven't given him the equipment he needed to win." He said, "But he said, you know, in these next three years, we're going to win, and we're going to win a lot." and again his vision was incredible um because we sat in a limousine people don't know this either and <laughs> you know we were talking and i was a nervous wreck you know because i had to perform it was my job i was driving for dale earnhardt and uh uh and you know when we were heading back to the airplane and head back home um he looked over at me and he just looked and all he said was a couple simple words that you better win. And I said, I will, sir. And he said, I know you will. And that's what happened to victory lane at Watkins Glen. I mean, you know, when your dad came over, um, I told him, I said, you see, I told you I'd win. And he said, you know, I, I knew you would. Yeah. And he said, I'll see you home because what do you want to do after race? Well, the first thing was to get on get on that airplane and get yeah, home. Yep. He didn't wait around for nobody. No, no and, anybody. uh, I remember in, in the early years, um, I used to have the opportunity to fly back with him and set it with the team,
1: if you made I it. was if
0: I made it, if I was on time, and uh, and sure enough, I mean I, I would have to just get out of my car and, and change as quick as I could and run to his hauler, and where's Dale? Oh, He's changing. Oh thank God. <laughs> otherwise, oh he he left already. That means it was it,
1: you were done. You were done going home with the team. Yeah, You'll wait
0: another <laughs> couple hours to go home.
1: Exactly. It's time now for our Tip of the Week brought to you by Wella Professionals. Today, we are going to learn how to complete a fishtail braid. Coming up into the holiday season, this will be a nice holiday style, yeah, your, I think. Yeah. Your company parties. Yeah. So, we're first going to spray your hair with the IME Ocean Spritz on dry hair. This is going to give it a matte and rough beachy texture for your braid. Start with side parting, twisting the front hair out of your face. We're going to gather all the hair on the side and make a ponytail with an elastic band, leaving it slightly loose. Divide your ponytail into two sections. Take a small piece from the back of the section, cross it over, and add it to the other. And then just continue this and repeat on the other side and continue till you're done. We're going to tie that with an elastic band and remove the first band carefully. Loosen up the braid with your fingers, making it sort of messy. The messy styles are in, which are good with me because that's been like the last month. Mine kind of kinda fall yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. My, my hair kind of falls around and. It's good for me to have those good, messy styles. You're going to finish this style up and control it with the IME Superset Extra Strong Finishing Spray, and that's going to set your look for the evening. You can purchase these or any Wella Professionals products at any of the 782 Ulta stores nationwide or purchase online at ulta.com. Well, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate everybody listening to this week's Fastlane Family. Best Lane Family has been brought to you by Wella Professional Hair Care. Multi sensorial hair care products that you will see, touch, and sense the difference from your very first wash. Hair care needs from fine to normal to color to coarse, Wella's got you covered. Wella Professional Hair Care products are available at over 780 Ulta stores nationwide. Visit Ulta.com to find the store nearest you. Thanks for listening to Dirty Mo Radio.